Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. I'd like to take a minute. Okay. To thank all of you lovely, lovely people. Well, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Applause. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double, and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some Dark Poutine. <coughs> episode 95 holy shit we're knocking on a hundreds door yeah and this is one that i hope will make people think about some things it's a topic that is very divisive at times oh oh shit okay we're gonna present it in a way that we hope is true to everybody in the story okay all right okay Mm, i'm curious um and this is another one that i have a lot of personal connections to. Wow, okay. Way more, actually, I think, than many of the ones that we've already Really? Covered. Yes. Okay. So there you go. Huh. It was Tuesday, August 1st, 1995, a mild summer evening in Ottawa, Ontario, our nation's capital. Mm-hmm. A beat-up car pulled up to the curb near the CJOH TV building on Merivale Road at around 6.50 p.m. The same car had been noticed there twice earlier in the day at 6.50 a.m. and 12.30 p.m., and that's around the scheduled times of the newscasts. The nightly news hour had finished an hour earlier, and most folks involved had already left for the day. A heavy-set man got out of the car, limped around to the rear of the vehicle, and opened the trunk. He dug around for a few moments, finally extracting a 22 caliber rifle. It was loaded and ready to go. His hair was freshly cut and his beard was newly trimmed. The man turned and walked into the parking lot of the TV station, rifle in hand. His plan was to shoot the first person he saw coming out of the building. That person was the station's much-loved sportscaster and former NHL hockey player Brian Smith. 
Brian was headed to one of the many charity events that he attended each year. This one was for the Children's Wish Foundation. The man took aim and two shots rang out. One bullet struck Brian Smith directly in his forehead. The two small brass shell casings from each shot clattered to the ground as Brian Smith, lovingly known as Smitty to his hockey pals and fans, collapsed in the parking lot. He was bleeding from a mortal wound. The man calmly walked back to his car, returned the rifle to the trunk, got back in, and drove away. In the shooter's mind, he had done what he had to do. To him, this was the only way, other than what he'd tried already, to get the attention he felt he needed. To him, this horrific act was entirely the right thing to do. He was headed home to wait for police. He believed they already knew what he'd done and where he was because he believed his thoughts were being monitored. This is NCR, the slaying of Brian Smith and the life of Jeffrey Arnberg. Okay, I think I know this one. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So the next day, the papers cried, Sportscaster gunned down. The Ottawa Citizen reported that the gunman was a white male between 35 and 40 years old. He was between 5'11 and 6 feet tall, weighing between 180 and 210 pounds. They described him as scruffy with a pot belly, short brown hair, and a trim beard. He wore a green t-shirt and jeans. He left the scene in a beige late 80s or early 90s Ford Crown Victoria, which turned onto Clyde Avenue. The car was last seen eastbound on the Queensway, east of Maitland Avenue. Hmm. We obtained much of the archived coverage of the shooting from the Ottawa Citizen newspapers reporting on Brian Smith's shooting and the aftermath. Brian Smith's wife, Alana Keynes, worked at the newspaper at the time. Oh, geez. Alana later told the Fifth Estate's Bob McCune that she heard about the shooting at CGOH by way of the newspaper scanner. Mm. Worried for Brian's safety, she called the station. They told her that Brian was fine, which was not true. Oh. But she seemed grateful later on for their dishonesty. So they intentionally said that, eh? Yeah, because they didn't want to tell her. Uh, okay. uh, they thought that, that it was the police's place to tell her, I guess. Uh, I, I, yeah, I get I'm it. speculating. I get it, but I'd maybe say, oh, we don't know, call the police, but... Um, yeah. Mm. Alana found out soon after that Brian's injuries were grave. The only hope he had for any kind of recovery would involve severe impairment and mm. most likely would require years of close medical care. Ugh. Hope soon led to grief as Brian passed away at 1.40 p.m. on August 2nd, 1995 yeah. at the Ottawa Civic Hospital. Brian Smith was 54 years old. Brian Smith was born in Ottawa. He loved his hometown and the people in it. He came from a hockey family. A lot of hockey players do. Yeah, yeah. It's typically, uh, you know, not actually in the genes, but there's a, a passing down component of, yeah. of uh, tradition. There are many hockey families here in Canada, yes. that's for sure. Yes. His dad, Des Smith, played in the NHL, most notably for the Montreal Canadiens and the Boston Bruins. Oh, so they had both played in the NHL. His younger brother, Gary, was a goaltender who played for the NHL for a few teams, including our very own Vancouver Canucks oh, in wow. 74 and 75 and the 75-76 seasons. Hmm. According to the Ottawa Citizen, Gary earned the hockey nickname Suitcase for being <laughs> traded so many times. <laughs> okay, yeah. 
That's a that's quite a hockey joke. Yeah, actually. yeah. At the time of the shooting, Gary was living in Vancouver, working at uh, a horse racing track, and oh. I assume that was probably Hastings. Uh, Hastings. Yeah. yeah. Brian had played thirteen years of pro hockey before getting into broadcasting. He'd spent two seasons in the NHL, playing for the original Los Angeles Kings, and later the Minnesota North Stars. Oh, oh. Over two seasons, Brian played 67 games, scored 10 goals, had 10 assists, and 33 penalty minutes. He even played uh, seven games in the playoffs. That would be quite a rush. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, he wasn't a superstar hockey player by any means if he's scored 10 10 goals in in, uh, two seasons. But to score a single goal in the NHL is quite a feat. To make it to the NHL is quite a feat. To play two seasons uh, is pretty remarkable. Yeah. After retiring from hockey at the end of the 73 season, he became a sports anchor at CGOH and was a fixture there after that. He'd auditioned for the job with zero experience, but the news director, Max Keeping, had seen a lot of potential, so Brian was hired and started almost right away. Well, I mean, there's an experience to hiring a professional athlete. Yep. Uh, uh, you might not have broadcasting experience, but you have you have the sports experience. You have the pedigree. You know what you're talking about. And Brian was known to be able to talk. Yeah, yeah. You know? Brian had met his wife, Alana, when she was interning at CGOH. The two fell for each other and were married in 1993 after dating for six years. The nuptials took place in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, at the City Hall. According to the Ottawa Citizen, the couple were, quote, wearing their best golf clothes. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Alana was quoted in the Ottawa Citizen as saying, quote, he was happy all the time, witty, good-humored, always optimistic. Mm. She said he felt embarrassed when someone asked him for an autograph. She also recalled, quote, he had no patience for phoniness. He really likes genuine people. He's not a schmoozer. Oh, I love this dude. Yeah. His friends said he, quote, showed up every day, which in hockey terms is quite a compliment. Yeah, yeah. A quote attributed to Brian Smith in the August 2nd, 1995 edition of the Ottawa Citizen sums up the kind of guy he was. Quote, Whatever I say, I always believe in. But you can't say I'm not going to say this because this is going to piss a lot of people off. If you want to say it, say it. Let the chips fall where they may. You can't hit a home run every night. End quote. Interesting. So, you know, he knows he's a sportscaster and he's going to say some things that are going to upset fans. Yeah, yeah. You know, get people wound up and writing letters. And at first, people thought maybe this person who shot him was... A fan mm-hmm. who was yep. upset yep. with something that he had uh, said about a particular sports team. And I think in, in some capacity we can relate in the sense of, um, it, yeah, it doesn't matter what you say when you're in a public sphere. Yeah. You're, it doesn't matter what you say. You're going to piss some people off. So oh, just, for sure. just say what you believe. Exactly. Some Ottawa streets were closed for Brian Smith's funeral at St. Patrick's mm. Basilica on Nepian Street for a massive crowd of over 4,000 wishing oh, wow. to attend. That's beautiful. From Wikipedia, quote, the Ottawa Senators honored him with a Smitty 18 patch on their jerseys, which they wore for the 95-96 season, Hmm. and with a banner hanging in the rafters at the Canadian Tire Centre. The press box at Canadian Tire Centre was also renamed the Brian Smitty Smith Press Box in his honor. 
Flags flew at half-mast at an Ottawa Lynx baseball game, and a tribute was held by the Ottawa Rough Riders, not the Ottawa Rough Riders. <laughs> inside, Sorry inside, to make that joke. Inside Canadian joke. Canadian joke. Whose players raised their helmets while the crowd joined in a one-minute cheer. Oh. So he was a much-loved guy in, yeah. in uh, Ottawa. Well, just, just hearing about him, not even... Uh, knowing him or watching him, he yeah. sounds like a really, really cool chap. Yeah, being regional, uh, yeah. typically the sports are regional. We wouldn't have gotten to see him no, here, no. but he would be like our Tom Larshide or yeah, you know, someone, someone like that who people really look to or, or John Squire, Shorthouse, Squire Barnes, or Squire, yeah, 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 one of those folks, exactly. Squire who works yeah. for Global, yeah. which is of course feeling it. He's he's a much uh, he didn't play hockey. <laughs> he physically, well, I think he's like you and has brittle bones. Yeah, no, physically he's not one to uh, no. follow that path, but he's much loved. Being the giving person that Brian Smith was, his organs were donated and other people got to live longer and better lives after he oh. passed away. Brilliant. The day after the shooting, a man fitting the description of the gunman presented himself to the Ottawa police. Mm. The man's name was Jeffrey Arenberg. The 39-year-old, limping and walking with the aid of a cane, sat down with officers and admitted he was the one who had shot Brian Smith. Mm. The meeting was recorded. You can watch part of it in the Fifth Estates episode on uh, this case, and you'll find a link to that in our show notes. I love the Fifth Estate. It's excellent. Yeah. Jeffrey is, sits calmly in the video, arms crossed, his cane on one leg, leaning across his thigh. Some of what Arenberg said was not making much sense to the officers. After describing what he'd done, investigators asked him the only question really remaining in why. Yeah, yeah. Jeffrey said, I quote, I can't get it before the courts because no one will listen to me. If everyone had equal rights to the law, shit like what happened would not happen. That's all I got to say about it. Vague? Right. Right, yeah. So what, what do you mean? Jeffrey asked, do you hear people talking in the background in like a low frequency? Hmm. And he also said, it don't exactly come from the radio, but it's like in the background. Hmm. And then he followed up with, it's through the airwaves or something. Oh, that's a pretty strong indication of where his mind is at. He's got, he's a person with problems. Yeah. Jeffrey Arnberg was saying that he'd been tortured by voices going back years He'd run into trouble a few times, and we'll talk more about that later, claiming people were stealing his thoughts, broadcasting them, or even making movies based on them. He claimed he knew who Brian Smith was, but had no issue with him or his family. Brian Smith was, according to Jeffrey, quote, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm. It was that simple to him. For years, he'd wanted someone to listen to him, shooting Brian Smith was what he saw as an act that would prove to the world he was being persecuted. Okay. It was in, in Jeffrey's mind the action of a desperate man. He was hoping now that he would get a face-to-face -face meeting with the Prime Minister. Yeah, that's, that's not how it works, but uh, this guy's clearly, his head is not uh, functioning properly. Yeah. Arnberg was taken into custody, his rifle seized from the trunk of his car. Jeffrey was charged with first-degree murder and immediately ordered by the court to undergo a 60-day psychiatric assessment. Mm -hmm. 
A list of other media personalities was found at Arenberg's apartment. Okay. He had other people on his mind. So who was Jeffrey Arenberg? Great question. First off, surprise, it's another case that I have connections to. This time I know many of the players. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Jeffrey Robert Arenberg was born in Bridgewater, Nova Scotia. That's right, my hometown. Okay. On December 30th, 1956. His family had a farm in Upper Northfield where my grandmother was from. Okay. And he and I are most likely cousins in some distant way. It's a very, very small community and everybody there is related, not incestually, mm-hmm. but everybody there is related to each other. That is fascinating. Jeffrey dropped out of school in grade nine and worked as a scallop fisherman and also at the Michelin Tire Plant briefly, which is what keeps my hometown running. Uh. He'd married briefly and before they divorced, he and his wife had a child. According to his family, from an Ottawa Citizen article four days after the shooting, Jeffrey showed his first hints of mental instability as early as 1983 Mm. when he was 27. Mm. The article was unspecific as to what the initial signs were. In 1989, though, Jeffrey had a fall, badly injuring his back. He also suffered head trauma at the time. Okay. He was unable to work anymore and had to walk with a cane afterward. Ah, there's where the cane comes from. He said much later on that this is when the voices in his head started in earnest. Hmm, interesting. Right after he has some uh, severe head trauma. Mm -hmm. Interesting, okay. He started to travel back and forth between Ottawa and Nova Scotia. Due to his disabilities, he needed to do something less manual for work. He decided on studying materials management at Algonquin College in Ottawa in 1990. I have no idea what materials management is. I guess managing of materials. Yes, you are probably correct, Scott. (laughs) Uh, In July of 1990, the voices in Jeffrey Arnberg's head were speaking loudly to him. Mm. On a trip home to Bridgewater, Arnberg went to the courthouse on Pleasant Street at the time and caused a ruckus there. Oh, no. He was at the courthouse ranting that his thoughts were being broadcast over the local radio on a drug channel. He was angry with his ex-wife's family as he believed they were in cahoots with MGM selling his thoughts to make movies. He wanted the court to make them stop. He warned that if his thoughts continued to be broadcast and his rights were trodden upon any further, he would burn down his ex-wife's family home or kill someone. He said he'd even contacted then-Prime Minister Brian Mulroney for help while in Ottawa. He was adamant that the courts help him. We all know where this goes because we talked about it at the beginning. Yeah. But I can't help but have uh, immense empathy for what he's going through because all of these things that he is hearing mm-hmm. in, in his mind, I- I'm believing he... Like, he they're real. They're real to him. They are real to him. They and are 100% real to him. Living that life with your brain convincing you mm-hmm. of these things it is not fun. No. The police station at the time was on the same block, uh, so the Bridgewater Town Police responded quickly. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey was taken into custody and driven across the bridge to the South Shore Regional Hospital Psychiatric Ward for assessment. Yeah. The same one I would be in three months later. Jesus, that recent after? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I'm not sure 
if he and I crossed paths there or or not, it may have been. I don't I yeah, don't know. I yeah. don't really remember that time very well. <laughs> but um, the psychiatrist on duty determined that Jeffrey was suffering from paranoid psychosis. Yeah. And after promising to seek outpatient treatment, Jeffrey Arnberg was released as he was demanding to leave, and they couldn't hold him involuntarily. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If they say, do you still want to hurt anybody or yourself? And he says, no, they have to let Cause him Because the, that's the key qualifier for involuntary, if you're deemed a threat to yourself or anybody else. That's right. And so if... So if he was saying, no, I'm not going to hurt anybody, they have to take him at his word. And has a history of not... Yeah. Doing that? Then, yeah. Yep. yep. In May of 1991, Jeffrey Arnberg was back in Ottawa. His problems were escalating. Jeffrey claimed that the CHEZ radio staff were broadcasting his thoughts on a low-frequency drug channel. Hmm. He wanted to hurt people there, so his issues it, with the illegal broadcast could finally be brought before the courts. He was taken to the Royal Ottawa Hospital by police where he was admitted involuntarily. Yeah. Again, Arnberg left the hospital against medical advice because he said he wasn't going to hurt anybody yep. or himself. Yep. In October 1991, Arnberg returned to Nova Scotia where he went back to the Bridgewater Courthouse and broke windows when he was refused an audience with a judge. This time, he was sent to the Nova Scotia Psychiatric Hospital near Dartmouth for a very brief period, but was quickly transferred back to Bridgewater, where he again left after demanding release against medical advice, <sighs> again saying, okay, I'm, I'm all better now. You can yeah. just let me go. Yeah. Uh. Back and forth between the two provinces he went. He'd been banned from the Parliament buildings by now it was, as he was trying to get in touch with the new PM, Jean Chrétien, repeatedly showing up on the grounds and ranting as he tried to get into the buildings. Back in Bridgewater in 1992, he took his complaints to the manager of the local radio station CKBW. Their studios were above the McKay's Pharmacy in Bridgewater uh, in the plaza at the time. The manager, then, was a very kind man, now passed away, and his name was Robert McLaren, or Bob, to his friends, and my parents were friends of his. Oh, wow, okay. I was interested in radio, and thanks to my dad, Bob took us on a tour of the radio station in 1987. Hmm. I really wanted to work there, but Bob injected reality into my ideas at the time, suggesting broadcasting school first. Well, that, that would be the most logical trajectory, at the time, Mike. At the time. I know. So... Back in 1992, Jeffrey was in an agitated state when he met with Bob McLaren, and McLaren feared that Arnberg was going to hit him with his cane. Mm, yeah, I would imagine he was probably quite agitated. And, yeah. Arnberg was claiming CKBW was broadcasting his thoughts, and they too were helping to sell them to MGM. Bob assured Jeffrey this was not true, and as McLaren showed Arnberg the door, Jeffrey turned and punched Bob in the jaw, screaming, that's for lying to me, as he stormed out. <sighs> Again, I think it's... So it's escalating. That, that, that violence is not okay, it's not acceptable, but I'm trying to just be like, this guy, in this guy's head, like, this is happening, it's real. Mm-hmm. 100% real. You are lying to him, Mike. You're lying to yeah. him that, that you're not broadcasting his thoughts. And like, So how would we all react? Mm-hmm. If we were in a situation where our, we're convinced that yep. this is all happening and you're, you're going to want to fight back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Jeffrey was charged with assault and had amassed three drinking and driving convictions as well as a conviction of driving while suspended. Mm. Jeffrey missed his court date and a bench warrant was issued, but they knew where he was. He was in Ottawa. The crimes were too petty to go through the expensive procedure to drag him back. I get it. And we'll take a bit of a break here. And we're back. Jeffrey Arnberg returned to Bridgewater. He turned himself into police uh, in the summer of 1994. Judge Joseph Kennedy, also a family friend that we've mentioned before, presided over Arnberg's sentencing hearing on the assault charge against Mr. McLaren. Mm. It's a small town, so everybody knows everybody. When Judge Kennedy asked if Arnberg wanted to address the court, he jumped at the chance. Oh, yeah, I bet. From an Ottawa Citizen article from the 5th of August, 1995, and please bear with me, uh, this might be hard to follow. Uh, we'll briefly break it down after the quote, okay. but it's in Jeffrey's the, the, language. We're hearing how his brain functions. Correct. Or we're hearing the how his brain functions out of his mouth. We're yeah. not really yeah. hearing really how it functions. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. I do. Quote, okay, he said. I'd like to know why I can't get legal representation to do something about CKBW and their drug channel room, what I can make out, just what they call it. Why can't I get the Privacy Act and prove telling the future on me and frigging me up in everyday life? I'd like to have an explanation. I know I heard your voice over the channel, the same with the prosecutor, so I'd like to have an explanation, you know. He went on to say, the Queen of England knows who I am in real life, so if that's any consequence to the situation, I might as well tell you now, and I have a number where, like, it can be proven to you in person, so, end quote. <sighs> yeah, that, I just feel sad. Yeah, he's, he's decompensated to the point where yeah. he really believes that CKBW and any place where he's living are broadcasting his thoughts yeah. in a way that um, his private thoughts are somehow, you and, know, over the airwaves and everybody else knows about it and he believes this too. And he's as confident in this as we are in our lives. Mm -hmm. It would be like if some somebody's suddenly telling you, no, Carol doesn't exist. Yeah. Carol doesn't, oh, that job you used to go, no, that never happened, Mike. And in your mind, that, no, it happened. Yeah. Like it, it, yeah, I would argue with you. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's as, in his mind, it's as convincing as, yeah. as we are living our lives. Some people would probably make fun of somebody who's at that point. Well, I mean, I'm not to be a jerk, but I, I can also like, is we do have that reaction where either you laugh or you cry. And so sometimes it, you do make light of right. it. Yeah. But you just kind of roll your eyes and, yeah. oh, that person's crazy, but this person needs help. Yeah. If you, what he needs. if you actually understand mental health, when you're seeing somebody react and, uh, communicate and behave like this, it, if you get it, then you're going to have nothing but, but sadness and empathy. Right. So I don't know. I mean. Mm. Like you said, he thoroughly believes what he's saying. Yeah. And he feels like he's getting no justice. Yeah. At all. Yeah. So he's getting angrier and angrier. Yeah. 
he's becoming resentful at the situation because nobody is paying attention to him and his concerns. A, a thing that to him is real. Real. So in the end, in spite of the bizarre rant, Judge Kennedy fined Jeffrey Ironberg uh, $300. He put him on probation and told him to stay away from CKBW. Mm-hmm. This is the point some have looked at saying that more could have been done for Jeffrey, but could it? Sure, he has clearly decompensated mentally, and he was not claiming he was going to harm anyone or, or himself at this point, which is what's considered when somebody is involuntarily yep. hospitalized. Yep. So I'm not even sure Judge Kennedy could have legally ordered him for assessment in the situation, given the current laws. And if he did, in all honesty, it would have just been a very similar result to the other times, be it days, weeks later, you know, I'm doing good. I'm not going to hurt anybody. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah. A CBC article that I read stated, quote, the court assumed that as part of his probation, he would receive treatment, but he did not, end quote. Mm. Regardless, Jeffrey wasn't getting the help he needed in the broken system. Perhaps what came next could have been prevented. The system failed Brian Smith and Jeffrey Arnberg on a number of levels. Mm, okay. When Jeffrey Arnberg went back to Ottawa this time, he had his twenty-two caliber rifle and ammunition in the trunk of his car. He moved into a two-bedroom apartment with a couple, a friend and his and the friend's girlfriend. He was going back to classes at Algonquin College, but the voices persisted. After the shooting, it took a while for the case to come to the courts. Oh, okay. yeah. Because, first of all, we had to initially deem, is this person fit to stand trial? Yeah, yeah, no, I, that makes total sense, yeah. So he was released from the hospital on September 29th, 1995, to await trial in prison because he, initially he's deemed, yes, mm -hmm. fit mm -hmm. to stand trial. He was sent back to the hospital for a month in 1996, and over the next year and a half, he began refusing medication. Oh, okay. His mental state deteriorated, and the delusions and hallucinations invaded his world again. Yeah, probably increasing. Yeah. yeah if you're not going to be taking any meds or anything, the, mm -hmm. the thoughts are not going to be getting better. Right. On February 17th, 1997... Another hearing finds Jeffrey now unfit to stand trial. Mm. So he's sent back to the hospital. This time, he is involuntarily medicated. Yeah. So according to a CBC article on February 18, 1997, quote, the court orders Arnberg be returned to the Royal so he may be treated and made fit to stand trial. Being rendered fit to stand trial are the only circumstances under which someone can be forced to accept medication. He has started on an injection of a long-acting antipsychotic drug, end mm. quote. Interesting, okay. So I couldn't find anything to back that up, that mm. this was the this is the only time they can give you medication involuntarily. Yeah. Yeah. But it kind of makes sense yeah. because yeah. they want to ensure that the court case gets handled and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's fairly interesting that this is the only situation in Canada where that's okay to involuntarily give somebody medication yeah yeah at the time well yeah i guess we take that seriously we take yeah. uh human rights yeah yeah how dare we from the same article in april 21st 1997 arnberg no longer 
is experiencing hallucinations or delusions, and psychiatrists say his schizophrenia is in full remission. Oh, okay. So on April 28th, he is found fit to stand trial. So here we are, we're almost two years after Brian Smith's death, and we're just getting to the initial parts of the trial. I, maybe my understanding of remission isn't uh, accurate, but I thought remission meant it's gone. No, remission means that you are no longer suffering symptoms. Okay. Cause yeah, it, yeah. And it is not progressing. But I, I didn't... Okay. So there were two juries impaneled. One would determine whether Jeffrey Arnberg was guilty of murder, and the other would determine if he was not criminally responsible. Yeah. So they want one to determine guilt and one to determine responsibility. Yeah, okay. A day later, April 29th, 1997, Jeffrey Robert Arnberg was found not criminally responsible on account of mental disorder, NCR, for first-degree murder. So mm-hmm. he's he had committed the murder. Yep. However, he is not criminally responsible. So what does that mean exactly? And a CBC article answered my two main questions really succinctly, so I'm going to quote them. Uh, What does NCR mean? A person is not found not criminally responsible just because they are suffering from a mental illness at the time of the commission of the crime. It must also be proven they did not have the capacity to appreciate their actions. Mm Mm-hmm. No right from wrong at the time of the offense or if they were not in control of their behavior because of their mental illness. The defense must prove the accused is NCR on the, quote, balance of probabilities or more likely than not. Only two in 1,000 cases end up with an NCR verdict. Two in 1,000. Yeah, yeah. And of those, charges of serious violence only account for 8.1% of NCR cases overall. Mm. So that's a very small percentage. Yeah. But these cases get a lot of attention. Well, because the, the, the belief out there is, oh, you just have to claim that you're insane and you're going to get... So it, it is not easy. No. It, you can't fake your way. No. Through an NCR. Well, I don't know. I've never tried. Well, I mean, uh, is it possible? Sure. But like, it's, you can't just. Yeah. uh, You. I don't think that Jeffrey Arnberg was planning all the years from 1983 to 1995 to possibly shoot Brian Smith, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, you so he's faking it for 22 years. Yeah, prior. no, no, that's not you, well, 12 years. Sorry, just the stats prove yeah. how difficult it is to yeah. be found not criminally responsible. So, no, it's not just this open door to uh be absolved of responsibility by anybody who just feels they were depressed or right. And so, the article goes on to say what happens after someone is designated NCR. It continues, with the new legislation, the goal became rehabilitation. Once someone is found NCR, they are managed by review boards, independent tribunals made up of at least five people, including a psychiatrist. Each year, most cases are heard by the board, which can order that the person remain detained in a hospital with varying levels of privileges, released on a conditional discharge, or ordered to be released on an absolute discharge. In conditional discharges, individuals are allowed into the community where they have substantial freedom with relatively light conditions. Absolute discharges means they are free without any supervision and are granted 
only when the boards find the person is not a, quote, significant threat to public safety. Few cases get an absolute discharge at the first hearing, yeah. end quote. This is the way Jeffrey Arenberg would be treated. Okay. He was housed in the Penetanguishing Mental Health Center, a maximum security psychiatric hospital. Mm-hmm. And it was the home to Peter Woodcock, okay. who we've talked about, yep. and some other notorious uh, Canadian serial killers and murderers determined NCR. Mm-hmm. His first five years there were uneventful, and with medication and treatment, he started to get better. Okay, which is the intent. In the meantime... Alana Keynes turned the tragedy of Brian Smith's death into fighting for more attention to mental illness and fundraising for that cause. Oh, wow. As well, she started pleas for an inquest into Brian's death, which came about. Mm-hmm. She wanted more oversight yeah. for mentally ill patients who are determined NCR. I can understand, yeah. So the results of the inquest were 72 recommendations and changes to the Mental Health Act of Ontario. So in 2000, Bill 68, nicknamed Brian's Law, brought about much-needed changes to Ontario's Mental Health Act, especially in how the system deals with involuntary admission of people to psychiatric hospitals. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. And all this is in the hope that a tragedy like the one that befell Brian Smith would never happen yeah, again. Yeah. As Jeffrey's mental state improved... More freedoms were given to him mm-hmm. from escorted through non-escorted day passes. And in 2003, he was sent to a group home and then on to live with his brother. The stipulations were he take his medication and stay within a certain area to report to the hospital once a week. Yeah. Which he did, except for one occasion. Mm-hmm. At one point, he broke with his regulations going to see his friends outside the area he was supposed to remain in. Okay. He was contrite, saying it was a lapse in judgment and promised never to do it again. He was not to own a weapon. He was not to drink alcohol or take any other non-medical drugs. Okay. So in May of 2005, Jeffrey was doing well. He was conditionally discharged and lived with his brother and was able to volunteer two days a week. Yeah. Jeffrey Arnberg's full release came in November of 2006. His recovery was called, quote, remarkable, and he was no longer suffering any symptoms. Mm -hmm. Things did go sideways again. Yes, yes, they did. From court documents, quote, On November 29, 2007, Jeffrey Arnberg sought entry to the United States from Canada at the Peace Bridge in Buffalo, New York. The defendant did not have valid documentation for entry and was referred to secondary inspection. Customs and Border Protection Officer Jason Hart attempted to conduct a pat-down of the defendant, during which the defendant punched Officer Hart in the face. The defendant was arrested and charged with assaulting a police officer. Yes. End quote. Well, because that's what you did. So Jeffrey was trying to get into the U.S. by bus. Yeah. He tried on two previous occasions and was refused because he didn't have the correct papers again. The officer who was assaulted had recognized Jeffrey from his previous two refusals. Okay. Jeffrey chose to represent himself at trial. Oh, God. From court documents, Jeffrey Arnberg, quote, made various statements before the jury, both during his open statements and during cross-examination of government witnesses, wherein he referred to microwave channels in his head, 
the broadcasting of his thoughts over radio and TV, and a conspiracy by MGM. So he, that's why he wanted to back across the border. He wanted to go talk to MGM now. Oh, okay. Uh, so the voices were back, yeah. although Jeffrey claimed he was taking his medication the whole time. Mm. But it seemed pretty clear that he was not. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the challenges, unless you're watching somebody take it. Exactly. It, it, and we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah. We are definitely going to get into that. Jeffrey made a terrible lawyer for himself and was convicted for the assault. An appeal was filed on his behalf by a public defender, but his conviction was upheld. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey was sentenced to two years in prison, but with time served, the sentencing judge said he could do his time back home here, saying, quote, enjoy Canada, end quote, whatever the hell that means. What? It's like saying it's an awful place to be. Yeah. I don't know. Jeffrey was deported from the U.S. in September 2009 and dropped off at the Ontario border, where he went back to his brother's house for a while after that. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey's troubles were not over. In 2012, a police officer in Quebec tried to pull Jeffrey over for speeding, and he fled. <sighs> in court, Jeffrey called the judge an idiot, which earned him another six months incarceration for contempt of court. Yes, yes it does. You don't do that. No, you can't call the judge an idiot. No. Jeffrey moved back to Bridgewater in 2013, where he holed up in a crappy motel near the outskirts of town. I know that hotel well from my bad old days, <laughs> if you know what I mean. It's very highbrow? No, it is not very highbrow. Five high stars? It is, uh, like, no stars. <laughs> negative stars. It is a place where people go to drink themselves silly or uh, buy drugs. Okay. Yeah. Or it used to be. That's I don't know sad. if it is still. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, life was not good for him there either. He was struggling again, and according to the Fifth Estate documentary filmed there at the time, he couldn't make life go. The documentary shows Jeffrey Arnberg shaking hands, fingernails just a bit too long, Index and thumb on both his left and right hands yellowed and almost brown from years of smoking heavily. His icy blue eyes and long hair and gray beard, all disheveled, and his mustache was also turned orange by nicotine. Jeffrey, wearing reading glasses, sits on his laptop in an unlit room in his dingy hotel. McEwen says the laptop has no internet connection, but Jeffrey just spends hours in front of it playing solitaire. Hmm. People were afraid of him in Bridgewater. Yeah, I, I get. I yeah, I can understand. They knew what he'd done before. Yeah. People remembered, you know, hearing about what he'd done in Ottawa. Yeah. It was a national story. Yeah, and a lot of people just ignored him. Yeah, not making high contact with him. They don't want to deal with that I guy. I can totally uh, get and empathize. Very very small town. Yeah. And it's no kind of life. No. Uh, the interview progresses in the Fifth Estate documentary, and you can see Jeffrey is confused at points, and it's revealed he's no longer taking his antipsychotic olanzapine. That seemed to have worked for him so well. He claims he no longer hears the voices, but we see those flashes of rage once in a while throughout the interview. Yeah. It was clear that he was still suffering. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen this episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When he was asked what he would say to Alana Keynes if she were there, he says, quote, What could I say? I can't change yesterday. It don't matter. If I ball my eyes out to the end of the world, I can't change what happened yesterday or 18 years ago or 20 years ago. Don't matter what I do. 
It's not not very empathetic. It's not empathetic at all, and it's an odd thing to say. Yeah. So I'm try. I was trying to understand it from his pers- perspective, but I'm struggling with yeah, it. Yeah. Like, does he not feel guilt, or did he not feel guilt? And and how does that even work? Like, does somebody who commits a crime in a psychotic state even relate to the state? when they're medicated? Do they even relate to that event? Those are great questions. I, and we also have to factor in his current state at the time of that interview because if he's not taking his meds, his his mind may be wonky and at that point in time and he may be hearing vo- the, the, the voices. Even though he's the, claiming the, it's not. Yeah. All, even though he's claiming it's not. So in his mind, again, he may be thinking his acts were justified but is yeah. aware that he can't say that because, the, yeah. you know. So it's really tough to, to pinpoint. Uh, but it's not, it's... It was a difficult episode to watch. It really was. I mean, Brian Smith did not deserve to die. No. He did absolutely zero things to Jeffrey Arnberg. Yes. Zero. To anybody. Who knows? He may have even waved to the guy coming out of the... You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And he sounded like a great person. Yeah. So nothing, did nothing to Jeffrey Arnberg. But Jeffrey Arnberg, in this psychotic state, took his life. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, these are very, very difficult cases because typically it's easy for us to only empathize with the victim. Right. So let's let's get into that in a minute. Yeah. Jeffrey moved back to Ottawa in 2014. He was in and out of shelters before getting his own apartment with the help of his disability payments. But he died alone of a heart attack in 2017. So he's no longer with us. Mm Mm-hmm. And here's where we can talk about those high-profile NCR cases in Canada. This is just one of them. We've covered another, the story of Matthew DeGrood, the person found NCR for murdering five young people in Calgary. Yep. And recently, he's just gaining some more freedom. Yep. So he's getting his unescorted passes. Uh, Alana Keynes uh, referred to it as the seven-year cycle mm-hmm. uh, in the documentary. She called it a seven-year cycle. These guys will just get out after seven years mm-hmm. of being medicated. Interesting, yeah. And then they're free to do what they want. Yeah. With an absolute discharge in Canada, you have no oversight. Mm-hmm. Nobody is looking over just your a, shoulder. A, an average regular citizen. You are a citizen and it is up to you to continue with treatment <sighs> and yeah. your medication. Yeah. The same thing goes with Vince Lee. Yeah. He was the one who butchered Tim McLean on a Greyhound bus outside Winnipeg Never in 2011. Yeah. Vince was so decompensated, he cannibalized this young man, eating his eyes and a portion of his heart. It's one of the most... I remember when it was happening vividly, yeah. it was terrifying. Vince has since gotten an absolute full release and has changed his name. He's moved, I believe, to either... He was in Winnipeg for a while. I think he's in Edmonton now. Mm-hmm. Well, whether or not he takes his medication, it's now solely yeah. up to him. Yeah, yeah. See, this is where I get frustrated yes. and challenged because I empathize with these guys. They have zero I know. criminal record. I, I know, but um, you don't cure mental illness, you treat mental That's illness. That's correct, yes. And so, as I've always stated about when I was going through my terrible period um the problem we have is the tool we need to fix ourselves is our brain it's broken but our brain is the tool that's not working that's right. like so yeah. um there's no guarantee there's no guarantee 
that these individuals can, you go for you you forget to take your med one day, and then you oh you know what though like I feel, I feel okay I feel fine yeah. you know let me try it for a few uh, you know a week's gone by and I feel I feel fine I'm not here maybe I don't maybe I'm better and I don't need this and, and then you, gradually and then yeah it slowly progressively comes back. And you're right. Your brain is no longer functioning. You can't self-report or self-medicate. And so yeah. it's do do I support the system? Yes. Do I think we need to treat these people differently? Yes. Do uh, is the process of that where they go to be treated proper? I think so. But I can't say I would be comfortable with them living next door. Okay, you know, enough. like yeah, yeah. You, just being blunt and honest, I can't say I would feel comfortable if one of these individuals was my neighbor, knowing what, how easy it can be to slip into yeah. a, a previous unhealthy state. So this raises the question about yeah. these uh, yeah. high-profile NCR cases. I mean, like we said, there's a f only a few of them. Yeah, they are yeah. very. Uh, there's a minimal number of yeah. people who murder and are declared NCR. Yes. And I don't have a problem with that uh, um, designation. I yeah. don't have a problem with yep. that. That, um, but finding. it's it's like leading up to that. What could have been done for Jeffrey Arenberg? There were all these opportunities yeah. where he could have been sent for the help that he required. Yeah. But it's like our system is set up until somebody actually commits yeah. the crime yeah. or commits an act. I shouldn't yeah. even call it a crime because in the court's mind, this is yeah. not a crime. Yeah. It is an, yeah. it is an act. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that, I think the challenge comes into play though, is that I'm sure in the court system, you see daily, yeah. if not multiple times a day, this exact behavior mm -hmm. and these individuals do not go on to commit crimes. And so then if we're to start instituting, well, you seem to right. be not well. Exactly. Are we now just forcibly, it's involuntarily a, incarcerate? Like minor, minority report. Exactly. Yeah. Are you just, and so, uh, and I, I'm not trying to pick a side here. I'm not trying to say you can't no. or you should. Uh, it just, I'm just trying to provide. It's something we need to think about. Yeah, I'm, and I'm just trying to provide clarity on, on how difficult of, a, of, of the predicament it really is on all sides as a judge. You don't want to be incarcerating. Mm -hmm. I've known a lot of people who are schizophrenic, yeah. paranoid schizophrenic. Yeah. I shouldn't say a lot. There are a few yeah. who have been in my life and those people do say some scary things sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But I have never been hurt by any of them. Yeah. Even though I have heard, like I say, scary things, I have never seen them hurt anybody else. Yeah. And they likely never will. Yeah. The vast, 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 vast majority never will and can be functioning parts of our society. Yep. And we don't want to just start locking no. them up because of fear. Absolutely not. I mean, that. I mean that's draconian. Yeah. We don't, we don't want to go backwards in human rights to those days, but. Yeah, but in the same vein, yeah. when you know the result of these cases and yeah. you go, well, there were these opportunities where yeah. we have seen, like, there has to be a better way. Uh, I'm not going to claim that I know that way and I'm not going to yeah. claim that it's an, it's an easy way to find it, but there has to be a better way we, we can identify mm -hmm. and, and manage these individuals. It's like, how, how, can, how can a medical professional maybe assess that person yeah. whether or not they're dangerous? Yep, uh, exactly. I totally agree. You know, yeah. I mean, to Jim Clemente talks about it quite extensively. Uh, past behavior is a definite indicator of future behavior. Absolutely, yes. So, but 
Jeffrey Arnberg didn't kill anybody yep. until 1995. He was violent. Yep. He punched Bob McLaren in the face. And if you knew Bob McLaren, he's such a nice man. Yeah. He was a tall guy. He could have handled. He could handle himself. He wasn't like a, a monster or anything. Yeah. But he could have handled himself. Yeah. So okay. So his indicator is okay. He'll punch somebody. Yeah. It's not. It's not shooting until 1995. Yep. When Brian Smith is shot for no good reason at all. Yeah. You know, I I think there's also we need to reassess as a culture uh, as well. Like. Um, I struggle with the thought of forcibly, involuntarily forcing people into a psychiatric ward or anything. Uh, but so here's the, here's let's, okay. Let's yeah. let's go. Yeah. Let's let's stop talking about pre-offense now. Okay. So somebody has been found not criminally responsible yeah. for a murder. Yes. Okay. Now they're they're feeling better. They're out. Yes. They get an absolute discharge. This is where I have the problem. It, it, me as well. Um, so if you have, so you don't have a criminal record, yep. but the courts and the community are well aware that you are capable of this offense. Yep. If you are not taking your medication. Yes. If you are not taking your medication, you can decompensate to the point where you think murder is okay. Yes. So, and, and we I talked earlier about how quick, how easy it is to suddenly not be taking. Oh, you know, I feel better. I did. I forgot to take it, and I feel like it's not difficult. I know it's it's expensive, politicians. Uh-huh. I know it's it's expensive to do, but perhaps we should have something set up, like if you're if you're convicted of a crime and you go to jail for life, mm-hmm. you are responsible to check in with police for life upon re- release. You are never excluded yep. from life imprisonment. Yep. You could go back to jail yep. if you if you mess up again. Yep. Even though you've been granted your full parole, you could go back to jail because you have been convicted of a crime and sentenced to life in prison. Yep. So, and I don't want to compare NCR to life in prison, but at the same time, that action doesn't need to happen again. Well, and, and we don't want it to happen again. Yeah. So let's set up some way that these guys have to report to a medical professional every month. It, well, just yeah. go to the, so if I'm you go old. to a medical re- professional every month, you're taking your meds, they check you out, they say, yep, you seem great, fantastic. Yeah. I'll, if you don't show up, you're back in the ward. I'll even go, I'll even go beyond that in, in the sense of, so what we, what we know, what we know and has been proven is that while medicated and doing what you need to do, you're healthy and stable. Mm-hmm. When not medicated, your brain malfunctions. Yes. So uh, that is one of the key fundamental deciders in right. how this person is going to be conducting themselves moving forward. And so uh, we, you know, for my understanding with methadone, and yeah. again, like I'm not this is, I support all these things, but you have to you you have to go and take it in front of the people who provide it There's to you. There's other reasons for that, but yeah. Anyway. Well, but I mean, I know I. Just, I mean, I I have familiarity. With yeah, that whole yeah. System in, just, in a way that maybe you don't. But I know you're you're spot on, but I'm just saying, like you know, like there's got to be something that can be implemented and set up where it is mandatory. Your your release. Mm-hmm. You being able See, to methadone be methadone is voluntary. That's number one. Well, That's yeah, a voluntary. But I, I mean, just like in the the setup of it, where there, ha- you know, you remove the voluntary component. I don't. 
and I'm open to the discussion, but I don't have a problem with if somebody, if an, um, a life has been taken mm. by somebody, even if not criminal, criminally responsible, nonetheless, a life has been taken. And part of the consequence of that is that if what is going to keep you walking a straight line is medication, we have something in place where you you're forced to have to take that medication. Well, it's like the, the, the Charter of Rights is set up now regarding this situation yeah. that the the rights of the one outweigh the rights of the many. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of people have been crying out lately. I see all the posts and other other groups mm -hmm. and some in ours about Matthew DeGroote. Yeah. And he yeah. is he's getting his release and yeah. people are angry. And yeah. they're not angry because they hate him. They're angry because they are afraid of him. Yeah. And I can understand. And I they get it. they fear him. Yeah. And you know, I I I don't think that they're wrong in a way. Yeah, I And agree. I'm not saying anything against Matthew DeGroote yeah. because he is probably, he seems very contrite about what he, he has does. Done. He does. He comes from uh, a family that is definitely supportive. there for him yeah. and supportive. So he has a good... System in place. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. he's got a good support system to, to ensure that he transitions well. But, but However, I get the other side too. Yeah, I yeah. get the other side. Like you, you're you're worried for your your safety and your yeah. lives, and we got to find a yeah. way in Canada to deal with this better because people laugh at us for this stuff. Other countries are like looking at us and saying, "Wow, that's crazy." Yeah, but then we look we look at them and, and and we're laughing for quite the opposite because reason. we think they're too harsh. Yeah, well, not that they're too that they're too well. Well, there are I, people in jail for stealing a coat for life in prison. Exactly, exactly, and so yeah, uh, which is ridiculous. Yeah, there's no there's no perfect system, but we live in Canada. I love our country, and I would love for us to help pioneer our country some way to better treat and navigate these mm -hmm. situations because I'm not. Well, and this is my entire intent in, in yeah. tackling this particular yeah. case. Yeah. And there are some other not criminally responsible cases that I plan to tackle yeah. and they will not be Matthew DeGroote again. No, because we've talked about that, mm -hmm. nor will it be uh, Vince Lee because that has been done to death. Yeah. People know all about that yeah. case. Yeah. There are other ones here in Canada that I think are worth looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, at no point in time are we trying to say uh, anything, we're not trying to steer anybody in a direction just want of, to have a conversation. Uh, of the survivors and their needs are, yeah. are, uh, are, aren't Absolutely. warranted. Alana Kane has done a lot of work. She sounds like an amazing and human. And she said herself, she said, this ripped a hole in my soul. Yeah. You know, and yeah. of course it did. Yeah. And her watching Jeffrey Arnberg not being contrite probably hurt again. Absolutely. And the thing I, I love is though how she's trying to be like, her steps are actually being an advocate for mental health, well, trying to create yeah. more support around it to prevent these kind of things from happening, totally. which is a, 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 most people, myself included, would probably just want, my focus would be on this person no longer existing. Yeah. And so uh, she's an amazing, a strong individual. Yeah. Uh, but in the same vein, I get mental health. I understand it. And I have empathy on that side too. And so this isn't about like a side. This is about how can we try to find a way to best support society and the mentally ill. There you go. Yeah. So that's it for this week's story. Holy crap. Ooh, what a doozy. Yeah. So we had a lot of discussion, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to be involved in, in, uh, 
making a difference in this way. So if, if somebody knows of a rights group that we could possibly yeah. even talk to yep. after another NCR um, yep. podcast, when we talk about this particular topic, we would love to hear from them. Oh, absolutely, yes. So we are open to in- ensuring that the advocates have their say yeah. on both sides. And, and, and if people want to advocate for something other than... yeah. Because we, as we say at the beginning of every episode, we're not experts on anything. No. And so we, we're okay being uh, wrong or uninformed. We would love to be able to have conversations yeah. and discussions where we can learn as well. We've just got some ears now. Yeah. So let's make the best use yeah, of this. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. If I can make it any kind of difference in the way things get done, that would be fantastic. It would be and amazing, sure incredible. Yeah, 100%. That's, that's just, uh, would just be the most powerful thing to have ever uh, yeah. achieved is to create some kind of cultural uh, improvement. A change of some yeah. kind. Yeah, for the better. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we, we, we could do it the other way pretty yeah. easily. I'm pr- I'm, I've done a lot of that. Anyway. Yeah. That's it for this week's story. Whoa. Ooh, nap time. No, no, no naps. No. Uh, Scott. Yeah. Somebody called us and was very upset with us. Oh, shit. With us? With us. Okay. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, well, uh, there was some directed directly at you. Hmm. Hmm. But uh, let, let's let's have a listen to this person and uh, and we'll address his concerns. Okay, well, um, on the other side, you're of his, speaking for me, but let's, uh, you know, I'll see if I want to address his concerns. Let's, well, on the other side of the voicemail, yeah. we'll have a conversation. Okay, let's do, let, let's take a little listen, poo. I don't understand this. Why doesn't anybody answer this phone? I, I, I really need to get a hold of you. My name is Francis J. McGillicuddy Third. I have something to say to you two young bucks. If you use our last name... In a negative way, anymore, I'm going to have my lawyer excoriate you two. You will be burned at the stake. I don't know what we're going to do. I've had enough shitbird McGillicuddy, poo butt McGillicuddy, turd lips McGillicuddy, predator McGillicuddy. I just have had enough. And especially you, Hemingway. That's it. So yeah, uh, he wow. had some special words for you. There. Well, he's pretty. Well, I forgot his name. But why is Sunshine McGillicuddy Francis, so worked? Oh, it's Francis McGillicuddy the third. Are you sure? That's like, what I he swear, said. I swear it was Sunshine McGillicuddy. Oh no, I swear it was. No, so, no. You know you've done it before. You use McGillicuddy as I the don't... last name of somebody that you're making fun of. or That may happen. It may have happened. Numerous times since I've known you. It may have happened a bunch of times. A sure. bunch of times. But sure. now, Mr. McGillicuddy is there on the other end. Well, maybe we should. Feeling as though he uh, he's he's being hard done by. So. Okay, but like burn us at the stake? And, and great application of the word excoriate. Well, well done there, Sunshine. Yeah. Uh, oh, jeez. But I don't... I'm not did, endorsing any of this conversation that Scott is having. There is a lot of anger in McGillicuddy's... Well, he's probably takes some pride in his family name, and, and the McGillicuddy's, you know, I'm not sure... Do you know their lineage? I, I'm not even interested in their lineage. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know... Um, uh, maybe we should bring in Sunshine to have a, a sit down and a work, and we'll work this out 
together. Maybe on one of our after shows yeah. we'll do that. We'll, we'll have yeah, we'll have we'll, we'll have a little powwow in a, in a in a come come to Jesus moment. And I'm not giving. I'm not going to give. But maybe I can explain to Sunshine why I. Uh, I I feel so passionate okay. about keeping. Okay, so you're telling Sunshine or Francis, sorry, to go shit in his hat at this point. <sighs> yeah, to, to shit in his McGillicuddy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, there you go. So if you want to leave us a voicemail, uh, much like Francis McGillicuddy the Third did, you can do so at 604 595 2448. That's right, 604 604- Five nine five two four four eight. You can also find that number again on uh, dark protein slash contact. But uh, hmm. I'm a little concerned. I uh, hopefully, uh, you know, if you're creative or if you have some comments or something like that, we would love to hear from you. And uh, uh, Mr. McGillicuddy, let's maybe we'll we'll have some more conversation with you later. Uh, clearly, something needs to be sorted. Yeah, we need to sort this out in a in a big way. Yeah, Buttercup. Who are you calling Buttercup? Mr. McGillicuddy? Yeah. yeah. Well, what did he do? Well, he seemed quite angry, so I'm trying to give him calm, pleasant names. Like Sunshine. Is sunshine everybody loves Sunshine. Everybody, of poo lips. And... Everybody loves Buttercups. So, I mean, just trying to... Oh, my God. Uh, just trying to make him feel better. We're getting in so much trouble. Yeah. It needs to happen sometimes. And before we go, mm-hmm. guess what time it is? Um, 7 p.m.? Well, it's it's in that range. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, is it? No, I don't know. No, it's so. five. <laughs> it's only five o'clock. Phew! I was going to say, have we been doing this for that long? Because I know you came over at like three. Yeah. Well, we, like, we, had, we, seven, spent... we had four hours of technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, anyway. So what we're, what we're going to do... Mm, what are we going to do? Patreon shout-outs. It's time to thank our patrons. That's right. First up, we have Jillian Major, and she is from Guelph, Ontario, where my father went to veterinary school. I don't know why I've always loved the name Guelph. Guelph is a weird name. I picture it like like nymphs and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it does sound very English. Yeah, it does. It does. Jillian, are you a nymph or fairy or, I don't know, a brownie because that's another type of fairy what yeah i've never heard of a brownie that live in in guelph mm, um, guelph want a brownie. i know not a special one though <laughs> kim neubauer she is from germering in germany oh yeah oh wow germany represent there you go thank you kim muchos gracias oh, or as muchos. the germans say wiener schnitzel Okay, and Danka. And Danka, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> Not Wiener Schnitzel. Krista Hanley, and she's from Somerville, South, South Carolina. Carolina. South Carolina. You know, I'd really like to go to South Carolina. I'd like to go to any Carolina, but South Carolina <laughs> in particular because there's. It's just the southern. Yeah, I really want to. I want to experience some of that southern hospitality more so than we did in uh, New Orleans. We did get some good that was, hospitality. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was funny. That waitress is really that funny. That was like one of the highlights and of, that was of the, the whole very thing. end. Yeah, right at the airport. Uh, hey, baby, can I get you something to eat? <laughs> what do you want there, sweetie pie? You need some more coffee, baby? 
<laughs> Everything was BV. It was so great. So, okay, then what we'll do, we'll come to Somerville and hopefully Christina Hanley will call us baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Oh, hey, baby. Can I get you a table? <laughs> sure. Oh, boy. Please get us a table. Caroline Newart. And she's from Austin, Texas. Another place I want to go. Ah, uh, yes. I have family in Austin. I do not. And they want me to come there for South by Southwest. Oh, God. That would be so great. I'm invited. It's like a standing invitation. Oh, I've always wanted wanted to go to that. Yeah, well, maybe we should do it one year. I think so. Let's apply and see if they they want some Canadian true crime podcast there. Because sometimes that might happen. You know what? That's brilliant. Could happen. Yeah. And next up is Crystal Posh from, looks like Cold Lake, Alberta. Oh, yeah, I think I've heard of Cold Lake, Alberta. Yeah. 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 We're both kind of uh, from watery uh, location. Clearwater, BC, Cold Lake, Alberta. Bridgewater. Whoa. <laughs> there's, a, yeah. there's an aqua theme to this. Yes. Wow. Yeah, look at look at me. Oh, I am wow. a maritimer, of course. Yeah. Been on boats and all that kind of I don't know about Cold Lake, though. Why? It sounds like... Cold? A cold lake. Well, yeah. No, you I probably get a pretty, pretty bad case of shrinky dink in yeah. Cold Lake. <laughs> Inverted dink. Inverted dink. <laughs> it went to hide. Where'd it go? It's inside. I haven't any. <laughs> well, that's what she said. Oh. Sydney Martins from Abbotsford, B.C. Hey. We appreciate it. Sydney. We really Thank do. We much. really do. Uh, next up is... Chantel. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, Kravchyachuk. 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 singer. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, Kravchyachuk. Kretchian. No, she's John Kretchian related in some way. Chantel. You're just making shit up. I don't know how to pronounce that name. Kravchyachuk. Yes, yes. That's her. That's her. Yeah. She's now a carpenter. I was oh. going to say Woodsmith, but it's like not. with Karen Carpenter? No, no, Mike, that's just silly. No, she's she's it's Karen Carpenter. Died. She she builds homes. Oh, yeah, single-handedly, no help. Builds homes. Yeah, and but she does it that old old style where you don't use nails or anything. Everything is just like uh, shivs and whatnot. So, oh wow! Yeah, it's a, it's a real trade. It's a real art. She even makes her own nails. She does. No, she doesn't. I just said she doesn't use nails. Oh, it's like. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. yeah, that old school way of doing like it. Like the pegs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, pegs. Yeah, no, yeah, it's pegs. really quite. You should, it's, you know, it's quite uh, quite a transition going from a famous uh, musician singer to. But hey, she's she's always been an artist. Well, thanks, Chantel. Yep, thanks, Chantel. <laughs> Christina Baldwin, and she's from Overland Park in Kansas. Oh, wow. Yeah, Overland Park. I, you know, I prefer Underland Park. Oh, okay, I gotcha. But yeah, Overland is still great as well. Well, I like to go over because if you go under, I'm a tunneler. I'm oh, okay. A, I'm a tunneler. There you go. Yeah, I'm a tunneler. So, Fair enough. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I'm a Underland. I like the pole vault. You, you clearly do. Pole vaulting over. Well, you know, you know, they don't make the tunnels big enough for fat people to get through. You've, you've got more of a pole vaulter physique. <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> Oh, well. So, thank you. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> thank thank you. you. Thank Much appreciated. Totally. Uh, another Christina. Whoa. Whoa. Like two in a row. There's three Christinas this time so far. Jeez. And this is Christina Brennan. Mm-hmm. And she's from? 
Austin, Texas. We got another Austin, Texas? Did, yeah. Is the, There's actually two from Austin, Texas? Maybe they're friends. They could be. Maybe they're friends and they're like, yo, we should Patreon. Carolyn and Christina, do you guys know each other? Maybe. I, I hope so. Because I mean, if you don't, maybe you reach out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You clearly both like Canadian true crime. You can have your own meetup. Yeah. <laughs> Your yeah. own dark poutine meetup. Yeah. And, and Send tell, us photos. Tell South by Southwest that we want to come. Yeah, do that, because we'll be there. So thanks. Th- thank Th- you, Christina. Thanks, Christina. And next up, we have from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, uh, Elaine did, Gill. Yeah, didn't uh, John Hamm just buy you? Oh, Moose Jaw. He, yeah, bought, he bought Moose, Moose Jaw. Jaw. Yeah. Oh, wow. Haven't you seen that commercial? You asked me that last week, and I have still not seen it. It's a good, but commercial. it's kind of like on purpose. I haven't seen it's it. It's a good commercial. I don't watch your, TV. Your American is showing. He says, "Oh, that's terrible." Yeah. I've never. I don't think I've been to Moose Jaw. I may have driven through it. I don't remember. It was a while ago. I drove through Saskatchewan on my way back from Nova Scotia, but I don't remember going directly through Moose Jaw. I might. I, have. I feel like I have, but I don't because I drove through, coming and going through mm-hmm. Saskatchewan. But I do love some of the names of the places in the yeah, prairies. Yeah. Moose Jaw. Yeah. They're, they're great, great names. Yeah. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you very much. Next up, we have Winter Kernow. What a beautiful name. And she is from Campbell River, the place that we've been talking about. We've been talking about yes. in our previous two episodes, yes. which is kind of interesting. Very interesting. And thank you. That is a beautiful name. Winter Kernow. Winter. Kernel. Winter. That's yeah. Great. That's great. Sad we didn't see you at the uh, the meetup this weekend, but such is life. Well, I didn't see anybody there. No, we didn't see you there either, yeah. Scott. <laughs> Semantics. Semantics. Potato, potato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Winter. Yes, it is a very nice name. It does flow. Winter it really does. Now. It really does. Yeah. Cassandra Fair, and she's from Richmond, Texas. Well, that's another really Cassandra Fair. Cassandra Fair. Sounds like... Uh, have you been to Cassandra Fair? It sounds like it would have been a, a, a like a, um, a, like a warped tour kind of. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, Cassandra Fair is in town. Well, Cassandra, the last name Fair is actually... I, I saw that a lot in uh, around my hometown in Nova Scotia. Oh, really? Okay. County, yeah. All right. All right. So maybe she's uh, some sort of relative of ours, too. I don't yep. know. Yeah. Could be. Could be. Could be. Welcome to the family. Thanks, Cassandra. Thanks, Cassandra. Next up, we have Lisa Walker. Yeah. And Lisa, I'm not really entirely sure about. Oh, she's a runner. Yeah, but there's got to be a goal. So we've had Tree Climber. Yeah. But so what is the goal of the running? So Lisa Walker is a runner. And... (sighs) But... terrible. No, no. So Lisa Walker is a runner. Yeah, she's a runner courier. She does. She's a courier by what trade. What is she currying? Uh, runners. So Lisa Walker is a runner who couriers runners. Yeah, it's clear as day. It makes perfect sense. Like the the shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it's not like other runners. Like she doesn't have actual humans in her backpack. That's, just, and that's, that's preposterous. As is most things that we talk about. No, no, this is this is part of the show. Facts aren't preposterous, Mike. Well, thank you, Lisa Walker. Runner. Who's a runner. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much, Lisa. Jen Burke and is from Mississauga, Ontario. Hmm. Did you know it's the Mississaugiest? Apparently. Is it? I always thought, like, 
when I hear Mississauga, mm-hmm. I hear the word Mississippi in it a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. And then I hear Saga, and I think soggy. <laughs> wow, now that's in my head. Mississauga. Yeah, now that's always going like, to be. Like, I think my... it's like damp. Always very damp Jeez. in Mississauga. I know it's not. Moist? I've been to. Carol's favorite word yeah. is moist. Yeah, she just turned the show off. <laughs> she stopped listening. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Jen, so I know Mississauga isn't soggy, but I don't know what it is. Oh, no, Mississauga. Yeah. Yeah, now me and everybody else listening has that in our heads. That it's soggy? Thanks, Mike. But thank, more so, thank you, Jen Burke. Yes, much appreciated. Uh, Sylvie Monette, oh. and she's from Calgary, Alberta. That is really where the Flames beat the Canucks the yeah. other night, very soundly in their home opener, uh, shutting sure. them out. In game sure, two. yeah, sure. I'll take your word for it. Hockey. Hmm. Scott doesn't watch anymore because the Canucks are no good. No, it's not even. It's not even the Canucks. It's just like I just lost interest in, in hockey after. Well, here's the thing. Thirty they years. They were never really any good. The Canucks, I love. I've always loved the Canucks. Yeah, but I just think I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's just a sad thing now. Yeah. 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 It's a sadness. Um, so thanks, thank you, Sylvie. Thank you, yeah. Sylvie, and and enjoy your Flames hockey. Yeah, I mean, they'll sure, they'll do all week. They'll do great this year. Sure, mm-hmm, yeah. I love the Red Mile like that. Their whole yeah, that's all. They're very into their yeah, game. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, you know, like I wish that Canucks fans were as on board as we used to be. I don't think we've ever been like that though. We 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 had an Orange Mile. Uh, that was mainly just stuff on fire from riots. A terrible person. Well, not inaccurate. Then there's Nick O'Toole oh. from Ambler, Pennsylvania. Well, hey, Nick. Nick O'Toole. Wow. Yeah. Oh, thank Ambler. you. Ambler. Ambler. So do people just amble around? They, you know. Is it uh, named after, like, zombi- zombies? Like, zombies ambling about? No, it was actually, the city was originally called Rambler. Oh, but but the R fell they, off the they, sign, and they just went with they it. They just couldn't yeah, afford to well, it would be easier for us to just capitalize the A. Yeah, and uh, yeah. you know, so, so let's, somebody yeah. drew like a painted a big A. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're ambler now. Yeah, so now we're ambling. Yep, change your uh, letterhead. Well, there you go. Yeah. So thank you, Nick. And last but not, uh, well, no, it's not not last. Uh, next up, we have Felicity Waymer. Hey, Felicity. And she's from Stetler, Alberta. So oh. we, we have talked about Stetler with the, the Cook murders. Oh, oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes, we've had some a couple of Albertas today. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, Alberta. Where are you, British Columbia? Oh, there's one. The Abbotsford. Abbotsford. Abbey. We had uh, yeah. Sydney Martins from Abbotsford. That's but, right. But uh, British okay. Columbians don't like us. It's okay. Spread the wealth. Well, let's hope that's not true because we'll be doing a live show. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping some Albertans come for the live show. That would be great. That would be pretty neat. Yeah. I would love to see uh, people there uh, who have traveled for the show. Yeah. And um, just so you know, after the show, we will stick around and you can meet us. Yep. We'll shake all your hands and kiss your babies. We'll, we'll shake your babies and kiss your hands. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, that's what we'll do. We'll we'll sign um, foreheads, right? Because we're not allowed to touch anything else. Because yeah, we'll our wives will be there. We'll sign foreheads. Yeah, they won't. They are not happy with that kind of thing. <laughs> well, as they shouldn't be, you know. Oh. Uh, we had uh, some donut money. Oh, okay. And it's from Maggie Mahalko. 
Thanks, Maggie. And she is from York, Pennsylvania. Oh. In the United States of America. That's that's outside of Canada. It is outside of Canada. Yeah. But she said, hi, Mike and Scott. I just want to say thank you for the wonderful podcast that is Dark Poutine. Oh. At first, I found it almost comically Canadian. But as time went on, you both shared your stories and gave the victims and their families time and respect they deserve. Oh. Dark Poutine quickly... Moved to the top of my podcast list is one of the best true crime pods out there. Truly a pleasure to listen to, even on the darker days, because of the thoughtfulness and regard you approach each subject. I hope that continues to, to yeah. shine through. Yeah. I've just finished binging all the episodes, but I plan to download them all to re-listen on my flight to Italy for my honeymoon. Well, oh, congratulations. congrats! Oh. Poutine shall be spread across the globe. Enjoy the donut money. Make sure you get a double double with your order. Well, um, you know what? Thank you so that much, Maggie. Was so sweet. And congrats to you and your new partner. Partner, because we don't want to assume anything. Nope. nope. We Lo- have learned better. Love is love. Love is love. So, uh, in Italy, what a great place to go for a honeymoon. And she gave us donut money. Yeah. Just getting married and going on honeymoon. Like, yeah, that's wow. crazy. That's crazy. Like, save your money. You and should go. be asking us for money. Like well, those are that. those are somebody might actually. those are not uh, inexpensive endeavors. No Wedi- that, weddings and honeymoons. No, both of those things are quite uh, oh, bankrupt. Yeah, exactly. And we got one. We got a message from hmm. Brittany uh, Corcoran, and she said, uh, "Hi, my favorite Northerners. I changed my Patreon to PM last month, but have not heard a shout out. What? Oh no. Oh no. I must recommend you go shit in your hat." Poop in your toque. Love. So That's fair. That's fair. Brittany. Brittany. We're so sorry. We're, we're Canadian sorry. Yeah, we're Canadian. We're, we're Cana- we're, which is the like ultimate sorry. sorry. Yeah, that's like, the ultimate like, sorry. Yeah, we're the ultimate sorry. Yeah. So thank you for upping your pledge to PM status. Yes. Sometimes nice. we miss that in the, the notifications. It yeah. doesn't notify us yeah. properly. So, yeah, thanks for that. Heads up, Brittany. Brittany, Brittany. Yes. We are so, so sorry. We are so, so sorry. so sorry. Call and leave us a voicemail so we can play it on the show. About, Dude, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. If it doesn't cost you money to actually do that, because we are far away, I presume, from Brittany Corcoran. But you know what? If you've got one of those cell plans that allow you to make those calls in U.S. and Canada, call. Yeah. We'll, call we'll, we'll, e- we'll even put it on the air. I mean, unless unless it's a death threat or something. <laughs> we'd even play that. Yeah. I think I think probably we'd play that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and then call the... We'd be calling the RCMP as well. But, but Yeah, and we'd, and we'd be doing all that live. <laughs> Have the RCMP here. And no. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it does sound like way too much work, to tell you the truth. <sighs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much to our patrons, past and present, for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show. If you want to help support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine, or for one-time support, you can send some donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already, it mean a lot to us if you've subscribed to the show. Mm-hmm. You can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Please give us a like on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. 
Most importantly, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Come to the damn after. Come to the damn live show on November 9th, if you can, at the Rio Theater in Vancouver. We really want to see you there. We'd so appreciate it. We would so appreciate it, and I am going to be mortified if I look out and just see our wives are the only ones sitting there, and maybe our friend Wes. Because they even like even our wives probably wouldn't stick around. No. <laughs> It's like Flight of the Concords and their one fan. <laughs> exactly. And then she doesn't even come sometimes. Exactly. She's sick. Yeah. Mm. No, you know, it's going to be good. It's going to yeah. be good. I know it. It's going to be great. So that's it. Huh. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Guten Tag. Oh, no. Guten Abend. Guten flirtin. Guten schnitzel. Yeah, guten schnitzel. Mm. Bye, schnitzel. <laughs>